0: As companies move more and more workloads to the cloud, cost management in the cloud is becoming critically important. Modern application development methodology increasingly involves moving to service and microservice architectures enabled by the cloud, and Kubernetes is the backbone of this modern infrastructure trend. Managing costs of Kubernetes clusters is therefore becoming increasingly important. KubeCost is the company focused on giving visibility into Kubernetes resources allowing you to reduce your overall Kubernetes-based infrastructure spend. OpenCost is an open-source project by KubeCost and supported by a few other partner companies. Matt Ray is Senior Community Manager at OpenCost, and he joins us today. This episode is hosted by Jordy Mon Companies. Check out the show notes to follow
1: him on Twitter. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hello. Matt Ray is an industry veteran, having served in many different fronts. Chef, the configuration manager in software, but also Zeno, Zeno's BMC, and now Kubecost, the company behind the CNCF OpenCourse project, among, among other companies. Although, from his uh, LinkedIn, from CV, uh, resume, I uh, would like to highlight a career milestone that he describes in the following words. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm quoting, founder of a Linux and wireless startup providing internet kiosks to Schlotsky's restaurant <laughs> yes. first of all as someone that is not from the us what is uh slosh slotsky's <laughs> slotsky's. so slotsky's is a uh a sandwich company uh
0: started in austin texas and does it still exist yeah it still exists they've they've Good been acquired slosh. multiple times and so uh, i think the latest purchaser was uh cinnabon the company that makes the cinnamon rolls no idea either <laughs> but i think it's appropriate,
1: right? It's in the same sector. Uh, nope. No, no, it's, it's,
0: it's a weird thing because you go in, you can get a sandwich and a cinnamon roll, and, and that's not, not a good it. combination. Now, you know, they have coffee. They're trying to. I mean, if you're familiar with Panera, that's probably their their clo- closest competitor. But uh, they make a good sandwich, and so I had an in with uh, uh, their former CTO was was a friend of mine, and he was like, "Hey, they're. You know, this is dating myself, but." Um, there was this brief era of time before uh, wireless was ubiquitous, ubiquitous, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And before everyone had phones and laptops that would just, you know, hop on the Wi-Fi.
1: So this is in the history
0: books, oh, yeah, so anyone wants
1: to research oh, this yes, in the yes, encyclopedia.
0: Brief, you know, shining moment where you would go into a restaurant and they'd have computers for you to use. Wait, with a keyboard? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we had this this brilliant deal with with Dell. Where we we would drop they drop ship server or uh, a screen keyboard and a computer to restaurants for us slap our DVD in there and it would it would live boot uh, Nopix Linux and and we skinned it I skinned it so it looked just like Windows 95. (laughs) <laughs> and every time, the wait, wait, why, why did you make that decision? Was well, it
1: because you people know, are not familiar people with people are not familiar okay.
0: with, 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 with nice. or, yeah. you know, or Debian or any other Linuxes? So it looked like Windows ninety five. It had it had a web browser, and anytime the screensaver kicked in, which was set to like two minutes, okay, it cleared the cache and wiped everything, and so it was a fresh start. Oh my the god! Next time you jiggled the mouse, you were in a, a new session, and the the support tree for it was um you know did someone steal the dvd because <laughs> yeah. or, or is it a hardware problem and if it's a hardware problem ship it back to dell oh that and deal with
1: dell was fantastic yeah
0: yeah yeah they had a great small business program okay. and uh so there were 1200 franchises of schlotsky's oh wow we got into 200 or so and then uh has got acquired by Cinnabon, who decided that they were not in the business of having Internet kiosk in their restaurants. Um, you know, so there was I mean, there was a brief time you could have gone into like, um, well, like uh, American Airlines lounge and there would be computers that you could use. Oh, I've and, never and, seen that. And, okay. and, and when you logged into them, there would be like every single businessman's PowerPoint or yeah. Excel files were on the desktop, <laughs> oh,
1: and no. so we were like, "These we things have, must have been leaked." Oh, from, it, was, uh, it was horrendous,
0: and so it was like, from a from a security standpoint, yeah, terrible, really, terrible, terrible. Oh, well, our thing was brilliant; their yeah. thing was terrible. Yeah, exactly. But from the other <laughs> side, brilliant, exactly. So, uh, all told, I made enough money to buy a nice TV. <laughs> <laughs> so you clearly a businessman, I, was, but not a profit-driven. Yeah, it was not my day job. It was not my day job.
1: I was driven to this. Uh, part of your career because of the Slotsky <laughs> name. I, I will confess, I'm, I'm silly. Uh, but you didn't mention the actual name of the company. Did it have a name or not? Uh, it was called Live Oak Computing, it was Can nice I- and generic
0: can you can you spell that out live l-i-v-e oak o-a-k nice you know a nice live Austin. i like it a nice austin y kind of title there's there's many oaks in. yeah there. yeah uh live oaks are, are very popular um, oh okay I, common, thought, common I thought i thought austin brand. would be too south for oaks no or? no they have they've definitely got oak trees because you're from austin right yes uh i was born in austin uh oh, my okay. father was military so i lived all over the world and oh, okay. uh, but i finished high school and went to university in, in austin Where uh, have you
1: lived, by the way? uh,
0: I lived in uh, Virginia, California, Ohio, Colorado, Tokyo, and uh, San Antonio. So
1: I like the fact that you said all over the world, but only two countries, which is fine. (laughs) I I I, I, I do get this stuff when I think the NBA champions call themselves world champions, but it's fine. It's absolutely no worries. All the best
0: players come to the come to America to play in the NBA. So. And they, they do have a
1: Canadian team. The what? Oh yeah, the Toronto, Toronto Raptors, Raptors, right? Yeah, really so true. that makes them international. I, th- I think baseball does the same, and in general, Americans <laughs> might do the same all the time, but it's fun. <laughs> so, so how long then have you been involved in uh, open source? Then was this the your source?
0: first in? No, 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 no. So uh, when I was when I was in uh, university, I was there for a long time. I got uh, two undergraduate degrees. Uh, my first degree was a uh, geology degree, and I was active in our. Um, the
1: uh, uh, IT department or something like that? Well,
0: no, no, no. There was a, um, an I, uh, a club, uh, ACM, right? The uh, Association oh. of Computational Machinery. Yes, Media. yes. And they had a, uh, a university branch and they had a special interest group for Linux. Oh, okay. And so I, well, I was, was in the geology faculty. No, no, no. Okay. It was university, wide, university wide. And uh, so I was active in that. Oh, nice. um, I might've been an officer or something. We got, we got Richard Stallman to come speak. Look at that. I got to meet uh, the, that bearded guy <gasps> and, uh, you know, was corrected to call it GNU Lennox, <laughs> uh, which I don't. Um, but uh, yeah. And so I was active in that okay. and uh, living, you know, being a college student at the time, Ah, uh, we had university-provided dial-up internet, Nice. and uh, the Linux instructions did not exist. So I figured out how to make it work, documented that, and that became part of the Linux official Linux documentation for how to do dial-up modems. Um, and Red Hat rolled that into their documentation as well. So, nice. Uh, yeah, that was that was my early access. I, I was working for a, um, a, a state agency doing. Uh, computational modeling of the entire coastline of the state of texas oh my god and it was all on SunOS and not not solaris SunOS. Oh oh I, I thought it was i'm freaking old and oh, i didn't know about
1: the existence of SunOS. so yeah. that's that predates uh, solaris that,
0: yeah 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 solaris was uh, the new name oh. and and aix and um and eric's you know sgi's linux uh, unix Okay, and I helped them roll over a bunch of stuff off of those legacy Unixes onto like Red Hat Linux, not Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Okay, Red Hat Linux, yeah, yeah, pre pre Rel, yeah, back when they tried to do a desktop. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, So I'm, I'm, I've been around, you know, in the Linux community
1: for a while. Nice, and you, I mean, I've gone through your career a bit uh, very briefly at the beginning, but I think probably the company that marks your resume, your career, the most. It's probably chef. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, many reasons. I
0: worked at I worked a string of you know commercial software companies as a developer, and then um, what, what programming language was your uh, what well, choice? At one C. Uh, at one point, I had fifteen programming languages on my resume. Oh my god! and you were proficient at all of them. I have, I've been paid in all of them. But yeah, that counts. <laughs> that counts. So, that counts. so I've been I've been paid in you know C and C plus plus and C sharp and Lisp and um, you know Pascal. I did Delphi for a while. Fortran, uh, definitely Fortran. Okay. When I was at the state, I did a lot of Fortran. Okay. You know, I, no COBOL. Okay. COBOL's wow. the, the the gaping hole in my resume, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. of the
0: legacy. Yeah, But but I did a lot of Java, and yeah. uh, I was active in some of the early Java open source stuff. Some of the precursors to uh, JDBC. I worked on a project called Li- Liberty Alliance that was how to do database integrations um, for, for Java. Uh, JDBC replaced that. Okay, um, oh, okay. So I worked at a, a point of sale vendor, and so I worked on Java Pause, which is, uh, the Java to serial interfaces, okay, you know, just all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, but I, I kind of uh, I did a uh, when I was at the point of sale company, I did our our platform migration stuff. You know, Java works everywhere, runs everywhere, yeah. but you know, so our salespeople would sell it to you know companies no matter what their OS was. Okay, and I had to be the one to like make it work with you know their database and their operating system. And then one magical day, a uh, sales guy came and said, I hear you know about Linux. I sold, which is a terrible thing for a sales guy to lead yeah. with.
1: Right? The, 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 the thing that's going to uh, come after that is, is going to be terrible yes, news yes. for everyone.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. This was the most terrible thing <laughs> you've ever heard. He goes, so Fujitsu makes these cash registers and sells an operating system for them and supports their own point of sale software for them. Oh, fantastic. I undercut Fujitsu on their own hardware.
1: <laughs> so um, what's the hardware what
0: the kind of hardware, hardware was uh, pentium era um Pen, uh, uh yeah. S- super socket seven era pentium oh, okay. processors uh with um 256 megabytes of ram no hard drives <laughs> and so i ended up building my own diskless linux distribution for these cache registers that uh, uh, eventually was deployed at KB Toys, which uh, no longer exists. Toys R Us and Walmart put them out of business. Okay. But, um, so, Matt Ray Linux ran on 14,000 cash registers. Oh my God. Running Java off a RAM disk with no hard drive, so they booted over the network, not off of uh, 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 Netboot, or off of Netboot, not uh, the, the Pixie. Yeah. Right, so the precursor to Pixie. So, yeah, these things were ancient. So I had some weird kernel patches that I had to submit. Um, but because it was Java... And, wait, it, and it got accepted, those patches? Well, no, all my oh, patches got rejected. Oh, because so they, were, they were crazy train patches. Exactly. I submitted a patch for um, when you ping, you can encode a, a payload. Yeah. And I, I submitted a patch to the Linux kernel w- called... Essentially, the ping of death. When you get a ping with the <laughs> password, you call system OS unload and drop back to the BIOS and reboot. Oh God! <laughs> because because these these diskless Linuxes, yeah, you know they they leaked memory like crazy because it was Java. Yeah. And every night at midnight or you know 1 a.m., we had to make sure they all rebooted okay, so they yeah. could survive another day. Yeah. And uh, so they were writing out to. the uh, Cash registers have these things called hard total devices. They're like permanent storage. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, you know, backing up the the uh, every night the cash register or whatever. You know, backing up the, the okay. um, receipts. Yeah. You know, the receipt oh, okay. machine yeah, writes out for yeah. another thing. Yeah, yeah. uh, but yeah, they were just crazy, crazy stuff. Because it was, I started with like Linux from scratch, and I brought in the SuSE seven, uh, like. Uh, to, uh, Toolchain, yeah. you know, after the because they had to do like this chain boot of yeah. like bootstrapping OS's because NetBoot only supported like 512K of a kernel and then that would bootstrap to another kernel. It was the most c- crazy thing I've ever
1: done. I, I should mention, by the way, we are at KubeCon uh, <laughs> North America. I didn't mention this uh, uh, Detroit, Michigan 2022. Uh, Matt here is uh, representing KubeCross, as I said. But I- I'm saying this not only to put the audience in place or in situation, but context. But um, but also because I'm very unfamiliar with the, the scenario and times that you were describing. I'm slightly <laughs> younger. I was probably studying history, something like that, back in the day, but at that moment. But it, it kind of, I, I, I've been trying to connect this idea to other things. So. I did interview Brian Gracely earlier this morning, uh, Solo.io's VP of uh, Product Strategy, and I introduced that conversation with uh, a factoid, not necessarily a factoid, but the Solo.io's founder's previous technology of choice. So Edith Levine, do you know her, by the way? So the founder of Solo. Uh, yeah. She started with Unikernels. Which is yeah. a slimmed down version of yeah, yeah. the whole stack, from the bottom to the from drivers to yep. the to the almost the platform level mm-hmm. layer. So I was thinking, would something as thin uh, as and deep yeah. as Unikernel would have worked in that scenario? Uh, would, it have it would have made sense. Okay. It would have made sense. It would have made sense because I was
0: I was building a kernel from scratch. Exactly. It booted to my Java application. There was no, you know, there was no user space. It was just, you know, hey,
1: we're booting, we're booting to your your Java app and we're doing it over the network. So I think it, it, which I mentioned in Brian's episode two, has an interview about unikernels from 2016, so. Yeah, this would have been like 2004. Yeah, I'm guessing they came in too late.
0: (laughs) 2005, yeah, it was, there was some crazy
1: days before, uh, you know, early days, I guess. But, uh, so to, moving on to Chef, actually. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I was kind of surprised before in the conversation that you and I had before actually starting recording this, this conversation that uh, the, the concern that brings us to the table and the solutions that uh, solve for that problem, which is managing your infrastructure costs, right? I'll read the definition of what FinOps is in a minute and, and cloud costs or open costs, the, the project in the CNCF. But uh, I would have thought that these chefs, like Puppet and others, that dictate, did take care of configuration management at the deepest level, I would yeah, say, would level. not get concerned. could not did not get requests from clients wanting to. I mean, probably because you guys managed on-premises uh, uh, everything exactly. Yeah. So why didn't you get requests? Was it not a problem back in that the day from yeah? From I mean, your clients? I, I
0: think. Um... I mean, most of the startups were a little more focused. Where they, they, you know, config management is a big enough problem as it is, and then uh, dealing with your cloud costs. There, there are a number of companies in that space, and you know, a lot of them popped up within you know a year or two of people getting their first AWS bills. Um, you know, the the billing started coming. Um, there were companies that tried to tie them together uh i'm thinking like you know maybe a right scale or you know people who would say like we're going to manage all your cloud infrastructure and show you a bill and you know you can try to optimize as as it may be i don't think any of them really ever saw that much success okay and you know at chef we were you know we were very focused on configuration management and compliance later later you know compliance became a a major uh, uh feature for us but Cost management wasn't really the thing, and I, I, I didn't have a lot of exposure personally until until I took this job with KubeCost. Cost. Okay.
1: You know? Yeah, I don't think it no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised, honestly. I come from 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 a background that is not familiar with that, so I could be, I, I must be completely wrong. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, it feels like it could have been an issue back in the day. But no, turns out that uh, only until AWS first, and then I guess who came the second Azure. Was the second hyperscaler? Yeah, I mean,
0: Google Cloud maybe. Yeah, Azure it?
1: started with a pass. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they started with a
0: pass and then backed their way into, uh, um, you know, traditional IIS. Yeah, and,
1: true. Uh, Google did come later. They started with a pass too. Yeah, right? true. Anyway, so it was with the. And, and I'm also surprised by the fact that the first clients of Amazon. I mean, they probably complained about paying so much, but I'm presuming the convenience of it all just. Absolutely, absolutely. Just, just, just was they, they, they would complain like anyone does complain when you pay for something expensive, but it was it was worth it, right? Yeah, I mean, there was uh, an early early um, early days
0: at Chef. Uh, we had a customer called Cycle Computing, and Cycle provided um, uh, kind of uh, HPC on the cloud. Oh wow! Right, so HPC is high, you know, high performance computing, typically the stuff where like you know, laboratories or, you know, genomics or people who would have a dedicated data center to running big batch jobs that might take, you know, two weeks to complete. Yeah. And Cycle's sell to their customers was, you know, quit buying data centers and, you know, rent rent the, the compute you need for the job at, at hand. And so I want to say maybe 2013, 2014, Cycle was keynoting at, at ChefConf. And the talk before was from Fastly. And Fastly oh, came okay. out and talked about how great the hardware was. Stay out of the cloud, get yourself the fastest hardware you can because own you know, it. Yeah, own it. Okay. And and you know, for Fastly, their CDN, it made yeah. sense, right? Yeah. They they had to have you know the most crazy and, and Fastly carried some crazy Linux patches themselves. They would do things like, you know, take off all the memory safety in the need of speed. Everything, I mean the name is Fastly. Yeah. Everything was done for speed. Yeah. And then they were followed by Cycle, who came out and said, "Um, so we have customers who need to run, you know, HPC jobs, and they need 60,000 servers. And instead of going and buying a data center for, you know, $10 million and running, you know, staff and everything, we go to them and we rent it by the hour for $14,000 an hour from Amazon and, uh, you know. And everyone's, you know, thunderous applause because this is an amazing story in 2013. Yeah, like nobody yeah. was doing this, and and he, he told the story of how they used to call up Amazon and warn them that they were coming, <laughs> and Amazon would say, well, we can get, you, we can guarantee you 50,000 servers, you know, or whatever, and yeah. and they would they would consume all of Amazon at the time, and you know, and he said, you know, eventually, I think eventually they were acquired by Microsoft uh, yeah. over in the Azure side, but. They would literally use up all of AWS, and they would run the whole thing on Chef. Um, okay. But but it was just absolutely opposite ends of the compute spectrum. You had you yeah. know, one guy who was you know, you need to be as as hardcore physical hardware as you can. Um, you know, forget about the cost because he was literally like Intel has something that came out yesterday. It cost sixty thousand dollars a server. We bought as many as we could <laughs> because we have to be the fastest. Yeah. And then the next guy was like, we bought all of Amazon. <laughs> I think Amazon's a little bigger today. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah,
1: Cycle used to consume all of Amazon. Um, <laughs> okay. So, again, we're here in QCon, <laughs> that, and there's an initiative that your company actually put forward. I yeah. don't want to get the wrong the names wrong. I mean, it's a man, the company maintains, but might have a privilege view of the the project that is called open cost yes right yes. that was announced when very recently the summer uh yeah at the the open source summit um back in austin texas at the end of june exactly um so what's that all about i know there's more companies i should mention the Mine curve um red hat uh, adobe uh, adobe aws the leading PCP, yeah part was cube cost yeah
0: yeah so so cube cost um kubecost is a kubernetes cost management uh, platform and uh, what we open sourced uh, through the cncf is the open cost project mm-hmm. and what open cost is is uh, kubernetes cloud cost monitoring and okay. so that allows you to uh, point open cost uh, or deploy open cost into your kubernetes cluster uh, point it at your cloud apis and it'll pull up the billing and oh, okay. it'll interrogate your kubernetes and say this is how much each namespace costs. This is you know, or you know, slice it by tags or by nodes or, well, however you want to slice and dice any dimension of your Kubernetes infrastructure. You can see how much it's costing, um, you know, against your 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 cloud billing. So, so that's what OpenCost does.
1: That and that in itself is cost visibility. It's surfacing the cost. Is yeah, that yeah. is that the I mean, basics? It's, it's monitoring the
0: visibility. Okay. Like it, because for most, well, for the majority of, of cloud customers, their, their Kubernetes usage is completely opaque as far as their cloud billing goes. You know, yeah. Amazon gives you uh, an EKS surcharge for a management fee to run the control plane and then everything else is in EC two. Okay. And so you don't actually know like, you know, per namespace yeah. or you know per pod what
1: is costing you. You just know I'm eating a lot of EC two. And how does then cube cost Oh apologies. Drill down or actually surface the real cost into, instead of having a huge chunk of EC2. Right, uh, right. Thing. So um, so Amazon provides two
0: two bills. Uh, they have you know the uh, the single pager that is, you know, hey simplified. It's simplified. It is it doesn't get any simpler. It's you know, like, hey, you spent you know four hundred thousand on EC2. Pay us, <laughs> so yeah, possible. pay us. Yeah, here's the total pay us. Uh, but then they have what's called the cost and usage report, which uh, they throw in an S three bucket for you, and it is a massive pile of CSVs and JSON. Oh my God! And Man. and I l- literally have customers who have you know eighty gigabytes of bill.
1: Um, and so, oh, oh literally, uh, files of CSVs. And Jason's what? What was the uh, format? Jason. Yeah, Jason. 80 gigabytes. Eighty gigabytes of of, of text. A bill, yes. That doesn't. Matter. How much? Uh, oh be, because
0: God. because customers
1: either you know you get the simple bill or you get all the bill. Yeah, but but <laughs> even even like I know I don't know the Bible in text format it must be <laughs> kilob- megabytes. Yeah,
0: but, but what this allows you to do is is see exactly, uh, you know, how much you know, how much you were spending on EC2 down to the second. Yeah, you know? no, no, I get it. Okay. I mean, because when, you know, uh, there was a, an interview that uh, Corey Quinn had over on his podcast yeah. with um, the the gentleman who runs the billing engine for Amazon. Oh. And that is probably one of the largest non-government compute projects on the planet. Oh, because, yeah. because uh, you know, every, every service inside of AWS has maybe a hundred billing points, right? If you think about, like, well, an EC2 is one of the worst offenders, right? You might have uh, 130 instance types, and each one of those has different metrics that gets measured by the hour or, oh. or by, by, the, by the second or millisecond even. And, you know, and so, you know, That's you have all one of the toughest jobs in the world. Absolutely. And, and I mean... And And so they are a large consumer of aWS <laughs> <laughs> In itself, yeah. because they're running the billing for all the customers oh my God. and yeah. And so we said, you know it's it's an amazing problem. And yeah. as you know, as a downstream consumer of their output, it's an amazing problem uh, because you know what what we show our customers is uh, at Coop cost. You know, so open cost is is, yeah. not consuming the cur. the the cost and usage report, everyone calls it the cur.. Okay. And so co cost uh, open cost does not consume the cur. It's. It's out of scope for the the, the project for now. Coop um, Cost we reconcile, you know, the 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 list price with with you know so OpenCost gives you here's what you used by list price. Yes. And KubeCost Cost gives you here's what you used by what's actually in your cur, and the cur includes all of your reserved instances oh, and okay. your spot instances and any discounts you've arranged with your AWS salesman and you know all that weird discounting that you can get all goes into this bill and so amazon lags about 48 hours between you consuming something and it showing up in your curve and so it's it's a it's a hard c- computational problem because customers want to see in real time what they're doing yeah yeah and so we show them well based off list price here's what you have and you know we're reconciling those numbers over about a forty-eight hour period. Like, well, you know, we're updating, 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 and now those numbers are solid. And different clouds have different lag times, yeah, different g- levels of granularity. So it's, uh, it's Which one's the worst offender? If, or you don't want to, <laughs> you want to point your finger. Um, no, uh, no yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, Amazon gets the most attention. Yeah, uh, I they know. they are you know they are probably you know I mean they're the, the largest. Uh, the most Kubernetes is on Amazon for sure, and um, EKS is. Uh, I think I read a, a quarter of Amazon customers use EKS. Nice, wow. So you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty substantial. Oh yeah.
1: So so that that is in essence one on one cost um, surfacing, as I'm calling it. Yeah, monitoring visibility. observability. Yeah. usually, your clients, kubecost clients, when they get a bit more mature, when they control these things, they they, they want to get a bit beyond right yes yes then managing and hopefully fingers crossed optimizing those things right 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 yeah so you know the the first step after after
0: monitoring and observability of you know seeing how this is yeah is a a lot of organizations are going to map that back into internal usage and you know in in traditional enterprises you know this was chargeback right you're Mm -hmm. you're splitting this this big bill um Usually we encourage people to start with showback. You know, don't start, uh, make sure you trust these numbers and everyone knows, you know, what their piece of the bill is. Attribution Uh, is always tough. Um, And and so, you know, showback leads to chargeback, leads to (laughs) blameback. But uh, yeah, so people get visibility into their bills. And then what we do at KubeCost is we start, uh, we have a, a, a number of about a dozen recommendations that we make based off what we're observing. So, you know the easy things we 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 like to start at the top of the stack, so um, you know looking at your Kubernetes workloads, you know your your pods, your daemon sets, you know uh, whatever whatever format you're using to deploy your mm. applications on Kubernetes, first we look for things that aren't running. you know you might have uh, so we look for things that aren't receiving network traffic, um, they're just sitting there, like you're being charged for them, they're not doing anything, so you know maybe you want to clean those up. we look for things that are Uh, you've allocated, you know, two gigabytes of RAM for this NGINX app, and it only consumes 250 megs. And so, you know, we encourage you to go and update the limits for your pod definitions. Um, And so, you know, resize your, you know, eliminate the the unused workloads, resize your workloads, um, look at, you know, orphaned, uh, 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 lost, Volumes. Yeah, you know, yeah. Look for you know anything orphaned, and then start working down on the Kubernetes level. We're like, hey, you know, did you mean to have a thirty-node cluster because you're only using about ten percent of that? Maybe you know, maybe a five-node cluster might have made more sense. So then we encourage people, you know, resize your nodes uh, after you've optimized the the workloads. Resize the nodes. Make sure you're using the right sizes of nodes. Maybe instead of using you know triple X larges mediums might be Hmm. more cost efficient, you know, different customers will have different requirements about the number of nodes in their cluster. So, you know, we have kind of, you know, you can make them bigger, make them smaller, make them more, make them fewer. Uh, So we we show customers efficiency numbers and almost universally customers start with about a seven or eight percent efficiency number. Oh, look at that. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, within about half an hour we can get you to about 15 or 20% and you know depending on the size of your your uh, cloud bill that can be real money
1: i mean substantially large money for some of the customers i see by the way this this technology cube uh, cost and the project open cost is a perfect combination of keda the keda project i guess which complements the hpa the um uh Port autoscaler mm-hmm. and i can't remember what the h stands for that will you know would extend the compute in the pod uh, and shrink it to zero yeah yeah uh, so
0: some of the customers are running like the um the cloud native like autoscalers yeah so the, they won't have as bad problems with node counts and and cluster sizes i mean right now we're primarily at the advising stage where okay. we say you should make these recommendations you should make these changes and if you do you'll save you know fifteen hundred dollars or you know $48,000. You know, it depends on how much they're using. Yeah. And and we continue to go down the stack. We're like, you know, hey, uh, you know, maybe the EC2 instances you're using, you should do this. Or, you know, eventually it'll be as, as you know, granular as, have you looked at ARM? You know, have you <laughs> looked at, like, you know, replatforming some of these workloads? A raspberry um, Pi. You- <laughs> yeah, probably not a Raspberry Pi. No, but, uh, but 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 definitely. I mean, we do support on-premises, so you know, I I do run KubeCost at home on my Raspberry Pi. Oh, nice. <laughs> and 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 KubeCross says I should move off of them. <laughs> oh, um, <really>? what? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. We we yeah, the on-premises you get to list your own prices. So, um, but but we you know we do continue to work down the stack and and, and to the point of like hey we see that you have these workloads that have been up for 30 days. Maybe you should buy reserved instances mm-hmm. or these things are coming and going fast enough that you should get spot instances. Yeah. Um, so we, we do make recommendations that low in the stack as well. And we have some experimental uh, operators that will resize your workloads automatically. Okay. And that can be dangerous. Yeah, you know, depending on your, yeah. your appetite for automation. Yeah. But uh, yeah.
1: Okay, right. so I'll ask you about the future of, what- not the future but the roadmap or where the company is going or the product rather but i can see how in my mind at least from what you're telling me you can go you, you said that you went deeper into the stock you can go deep into the stack to the hardware level but i can see other two directions one is sustainability sort of like not only advising on costs but on carbon consumption yeah, maybe yeah. because of the type of uh you know all the all the variables that current sustainability APIs are providing, I'm guessing more hardware, energy source of the data center, and so blah, blah, blah. That wow. would be a tough one, but I think there'll probably be interest in companies like KubeCost to provide something like that. Yeah. But also, and this is also quoting Corey Quinn that you mentioned at the beginning, uh, he recently said that most of your cost management, cost management efforts are wow. ineffective. I don't think it's true, but... Uh, he eventually says, he goes on to say many things, but eventually says that re-architecting your applications, your workloads is going to provide the, the biggest savings. So not that I see KubeCost or any other company in this space uh, providing consultancy into you know, software architecture, but have you seen clients maybe reconsidering the left, I'm pointing to the left, so not going down in the stack, but actually go, considering the depth side of things, right. based on information that you've provided. I,
0: I so I, I did read that article, and, and uh, I agree with a lot of the points. I think they're more applicable for traditional cloud infrastructure. Okay. I mean, one of the advantages of Kubernetes is everything is automated, and, and so when you know, with a lot of cloud uh, cost tools, they can say you're spending this much money and they they don't have a good way of telling you how efficient you are. Um, I mean, they might be able to tie it to like, you know, monitoring somehow, but with Kubernetes, it's a lot more automatable and you can actually automate the efficiency. You mm-hmm. know I mean, yeah, you, know, you mentioned being able to, you know, auto scale your node count. Um, so you can, you could do things like, you know, automatically move things to cheaper, yeah. more cost efficient data centers or, so I agree that we, you know, um rearchitecting your application is going to save you know for for most organizations that is going to save you most of the money cuz you probably don't have that much stuff that's not running you probably don't have enough storage that is just wasted that it's really that cost effective yeah. as opposed to you know the day-to-day compute that you're consuming inefficiently yeah you know, because you 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 know deployed your application on EC2 instances instead of using a native service or something like that but in the case of Kubernetes, actually, a lot of it can be automated, hmm. um, and you know, can be automated down. And then, yeah, there's there's still further savings that can be done in the architecture. But a lot of the waste is easy to automate, relatively easy
1: yeah. to automate away, in my opinion. He he goes to say, like you mentioned a few other things, but I think that he has a point in having a dedicated person to cost management. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, right? so even with the you know with kubernetes right even yeah, if it's yeah. easier so
0: so uh, the the finops foundation oh, yeah. um, you know they're they're part of their uh, they're, they're uh, part of the linux foundation uh, finops.org and one of the things that they recommend is a centralized team uh, centralized finops team and which is you know coming from the devops space it's you know they actually do want a center of excellence right they they want somebody who tries to cross cut you know all all of everything and, and keep an eye on the cloud, Bill, because you have all these different groups inside your organization that are consuming probably the same cloud, maybe multiple clouds, but they're not talking to each other. Mm. And so if someone can centralize that that viewpoint, they can come in and say, look, you know, we I don't have to tell you how to architecture stuff, but I can tell you like, hey, these guys are using these sorts of instances. They're using these sorts. If you could use the same ones, I can go and get you savings accounts on reserved instances. You know, oh, we can save you money on the account side. Uh, you know, not not necessarily rearchitecting things. Yeah. So, so yeah, definitely, true. I mean, once you should start thinking about having a, a
1: FinOps specialist once your cloud usage is, is approaching anything reasonable. Since you mentioned FinOps.org, the website defines FinOps as an evolving cloud financial management discipline, right? Yeah. Uh, and cultural practice that enables organizations to get maximum business value by helping engineering, finance, technology, and business teams to collaborate on data-driven spending decisions. So yes, the different teams that might be using the same infrastructure don't talk to each other, and they could collaborate on on reducing the bill for the company at large.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the, the FinOps uh, org has... Uh, there's a really good book, you know, O'Reilly uh, FinOps, uh, Cloud FinOps book, uh, version two is coming out soon, oh, nice. um, but on their website, uh, they have a thing called the FinOps framework, and it is a series of recommendations for how to level up your organization's, you know, financial awareness, and, uh, you know, it, it, you're never done, but they have yeah, you know, recommendations for how to get started, and you know where to look for optimizations, and you know just how to be more cost cost uh, appropriate with, yeah. with your cloud usage.
1: So, unless you want to touch upon any other topic, uh, would you like to tell me what's next for KubeCost? Cost? Well have you announced anything apart yeah, from? The yeah, yeah. Of- so, so Cube Cost is uh, uh, so.
0: OpenCost is our CNCF project Um, It came out uh, about two months ago, and and, uh, I'm I'm doing a lot of work on that, Uh, like internally, I'm starting to take some of the steering of that uh, for for KubeCost. Um, We do have a working group and, uh, you know, folks from a number of different organizations are engaged and uh, we have a specification for the OpenCost standard. We have an implementation. Um, You know, we're continuing to refine that and expand that. Um, You know, that will... What we want is for folks to adopt open cost as a you know common you know kubernetes cloud cost hmm. standard hmm. you know that's good for everybody because yeah. because that really just means we don't have to re you know reinvent that wheel um on the Kubecost cost side uh Kube cost is free for uh individual uh well we now are free for unlimited usage so uh you can go and, and get the Kubecost commercial product and deploy it uh, on any of your clusters. Um, you know, if you have one, if you have a hundred, uh, we don't care. Okay. Um, and so that's uh, you know the, the free Kubecost product. And uh, if you are on Amazon EKS, uh, you can get that directly from Amazon. So we are uh, now you know a, a partner of Amazon. Okay. So you can say, I would like to run Kubecost inside my EKS. That's going like gangbusters. <laughs> and uh you yeah, uh, know it's nice it's nice to partner with the 800-pound gorilla yeah um uh but what's coming is uh we we do have early access to our sas so we oh, yeah. you
1: know you announced this week or the last like week actually yeah. yeah yeah
0: so we you know we announced uh you know unlimited free usage and sas okay. so uh the, you know the key there is um kubecost does uh it runs inside your cluster um and it includes uh, prometheus and grafana Give you dashboards and reporting and um you know lets you view all that stuff if you don't want to maintain that if you want uh you know if you want to run across multiple clusters yeah. have a federated view that's when you're into our commercial offerings yeah. and you know the sas means hey we'll manage all that stuff for you and you
1: don't have to think yeah. about it um so that's uh, that's what we do nice nice well thanks for being with us thanks for explaining the uh, open cost in, in- uh, project actually I should say and cube cost and uh yeah uh thanks thanks for doing uh for spending time with us well
0: thanks for having me it was great to be here